to page 1182 in the Bibles. I'm going to look at those verses that we heard. As we continue looking at this letter from Paul to the Colossians. So let me pray. Father, please indeed prepare our hearts to hear your voice now through your word. Speak to us today and help us to see what this means for us now in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who do you think are some of the world's most famous painters, artists? There are various uh, lists around and available, but um, typically at the top of the list of the, of, you know, the world's most famous painters comes Leonardo da Vinci, with his, you know, Mona Lisa and the Last Supper and all that. Who do you think is number two, typically, on, on one of these lists? Any ideas? Shout out. P Picasso, Michelangelo, any other ideas? Banksy. Van Gogh. There you go. See, proper artist sitting, sitting down here. Um, here you go. Uh, there is a painting by Mr. Van Gogh himself, Vincent, or Van Gho, I think you're supposed to say, in fact. But um, do you know the extraordinary thing about Vincent Van Gogh? He, he cut his own ear off, indeed, I'm coming to that, in fact, yeah. But during, before we get to that, but during his lifetime, he sold only one painting. Okay, and, and the people didn't like his style. So at the time, um, you know, you can see an example of this on the screen, famous painting, what's it called? Starry Night, that's right. So it's, it was dismissed, that people didn't like his style because it was dismissed as being you know, too unconventional with bright colours and thick brush strokes and bold lines. So they looked at me, you know, that, that isn't really you know, regarded as, as proper art. And then they dismissed him because they viewed him as, as highly eccentric. And so, as we, as we said, he famously cut off his ear. And you know what he then did? He gave it as a gift to an 18-year-old girl. Um, and uh, he was committed to a mental asylum. And subsequently, tragically, he committed suicide. But he's now number two on that list of artists in the world. And his works today sell each of them for you know, tens of millions of pounds each if you, you know, on the occasions when they're occasionally sold. But he's a kind of example of how a messenger can put people off their message. Okay, if you think of his art as a kind of message to the world, a new way of thinking about the world, he was, he was sort of showing in his art. But the th at the time, in his lifetime, people could not see past this eccentric messenger. And there are times when exactly the same thing happens with Christianity and the message of Christianity. So where, where people look at Christians and they think, you know, oh, you're, you're different, you are strange, I'm not going to take you seriously. And we can probably think of situations today when people do that. So what do we think of uh, the guys who, you know, they stand and preach in central London? So the other day I was walking towards Oxford Circus and I could hear someone shouting. And so I thought, what's going on here? And I got closer and I realised 
it was a guy preaching about Jesus with a megaphone. And as far as I could see, no one was stopping to listen. No one was paying any attention to this guy at all. But on he went with his megaphone. And then as I, I went further on, on the other side of the road, just outside the tube station, there was another guy standing there. And all he was doing is just standing there by the tube station, completely still. And he just had in his hand a card that said Jesus on it. So he was just standing there, card, Jesus. It was a, it was a little bit like someone standing at the airport, you know, with, uh, in, a, in arrivals, kind of standing there silently with this card. And I walked past him and I thought, I need to say something to this guy. I just need to find out what's going on here. So I, uh, you know, because everyone, yeah, everyone else was just filing past, ignoring this guy, holding the card, Jesus. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go and talk to this guy. So I stopped and I said, okay, what's the deal with this then? You know, are, are you waiting for me to ask you what, you know, what this card that says Jesus is all about? And immediately he launched into his spiel. He said, you can ask me any question you want. The answer is always Jesus. And uh, from, that, from that point, I then got a kind of 10-minute stream of consciousness uh, from him. It was quite hard to have a conversation on a range of things kind of to do with Jesus. Now, you can debate the effectiveness of these kinds of approaches, but however you think about it, it's striking to think that, you know, they've got a message about Jesus that people need to hear, but, but people are just walking past. They're not seeing beyond the messenger. In our, in, in our world today, how we communicate a message is almost as important as the message itself, isn't it? Humanly speaking, if we expect people to listen, slickness of presentation really matters. And Christians can be just the same. We end up ignoring everything someone has to say simply because they don't say it very well. And so far in this letter to the Colossians, Paul has been focusing on the message about Jesus that he wants his readers to stick with. Stick with the message about Jesus. That is the headline for the whole letter. If you've been with us, you've heard this before. Stick with Jesus. You'll remember what is Paul's letter to the Colossians about? Stick with Jesus. Stick with the one who reigns over the whole world, as we saw last time. But now he moves focus to the messenger. What kind of messengers should the Colossians stick with. If you know what messengers to stick with, you're more, like, more likely to stick with the right message. That's what he's saying. And the thing is that at face value, this guy, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to them, he looked like a pretty hopeless messenger. Because in the eyes of the Roman Empire, well, he's a, he's a criminal. He's, he's writing from prison. So at the end of the letter, do you know how the letter ends? It says, remember my chains. He's in a Roman prison as he writes this letter to the Colossians. He's a criminal and he's a troublemaker in the eyes of the Roman Empire. And the Colossians are being offered alternative approaches to so-called Christian faith. That is why Paul is writing. And you can imagine people saying, why are you listening to Paul? You know, guys, come on, he's, he's in prison. Don't listen to him in, in his weird gospel. Listen to us instead. It's time to move on from that gospel that that guy Paul, who's now in prison, told you. Here's the thing you've been missing all these years. Listen to us instead. Move on from that. Come with us. And Paul's message 
throughout this letter is, don't do that, stick with Jesus. But in particular, in these verses we have in front of us now, he addresses that thing about the messenger. He may be in prison, but this is why you need to stick with him, the messenger. And we're going to see what that means for us as well today. So, here's the first thing. Stick with messengers who proclaim Jesus. So, um, verses 24 to 29 are, are, are the verses we're looking at. There's, they're like a sandwich, okay? We all like sandwiches. We know what sandwiches. And, and it goes, bread, meat, bread. And, at the mo- and in the middle, you've got meat, okay? Or it might not be meat, might it? It might be you know, a nice bit of aubergine or something. But we, uh, in, in the middle here, verses 25 to 28 are the central bit of the sandwich. What is Paul doing then? Uh, We start with this. Even while he's in prison for preaching about Jesus, he is presenting the word of God in its fullness. So verse 25, fullness, big word in this letter. The point again is that if you stick right where you are, you've got it all. You don't need to look elsewhere. Paul is preaching all the word of God to them, not leaving any bits out. When he says God's word, he means the word God has given him as an apostle, which we now have as the Bible. See, in our world today, it's quite common, isn't it, for people to have a kind of pick-and-choose approach to God's word, the Bible. You know, I'll believe and share the bits I like, I will leave out and ignore the bits I don't like. When the Bible agrees with what our culture says, well, I'll celebrate that, but when it doesn't, I will sideline it. Well, that wasn't Paul's approach. His approach was to preach all of it. But then people would say, both back then and also today, well, come on, there's more truth than that, people want to say. There's there's more truth than the Bible to discover. That's just one truth. Come and listen to us and we'll give you new truth from God and about God that we've discovered that you won't hear from boring old Paul and his boring old Bible. And you won't hear from those boring old churches that insist on preaching and teaching the Bible in the 21st century. So verse 26, look, how, look what he's saying. He, he says, we've, we've got all the secrets about God. We've got them. They've been made known. There was a mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations. Can you see in verse 26? There was a mystery about who God is, but that mystery has been revealed. The puzzle has been solved. How? Verse 27, through the preaching to all people about Jesus. Christ in you the hope of glory. So the point is you don't need to worry that there's someone or something, something else, that will give you different or better access to God. They won't because they can't because he's made himself known fully in Jesus. And so if you're trusting in Jesus, he is living in you. Now, we'll come back to that particular phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But but look what else Paul says about sticking with those who proclaim Jesus. He says, verse 28, it's it's about both teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. In other words, it's about saying both positives and negatives. You know, many people like the positives of the Christian message. It's great to talk about God's love, forgiveness, eternity in the new heavens and the new earth for those who trust Jesus. But that... The positives don't make sense without the negatives as well. We need to be saved from sin. We need to be saved from the judgment we deserve. We need to be saved from eternity in hell. But if we leave out, does it really matter? If we leave that out, does it really matter whether someone accepts Jesus or not in the end? That's the point, isn't it? 
Is it really just a lifestyle choice that you can take or leave? Well, not if what we're saved from is as true as what we're saved for. What we're saved from is just as important as what we're saved for. The, the negatives are just as important as the positives. And, what, and that there means there are times when we need to hear the challenge from messengers and preachers, not just the encouragements. When we need to hear not just go this way, but stop doing that. Continuing that way, continuing your way will, will hurt you. That is the message that Paul is bringing, he says. Admonishing, that means doing that kind of teaching. And then teaching everyone with all wisdom, verse 28. Proclaiming Jesus faithfully means doing all of those things with the goal, verse 28, of building one another up to maturity in Christ. This is how we grow. So don't be fooled. The messengers we need to hear are the ones who proclaim Jesus and proclaim him fully. And this is actually liberating for us as well. As we think about how to speak to our own friends, our non-Christian friends, maybe in a world where it feels really complicated and difficult to do that, where we feel constantly on the back foot and out of step with the world around us on so many things that our culture holds dearly, you know, issues like sexuality and identity and freedom and love and marriage. And maybe we might wonder, how do I even start talking to my friends and colleagues when I feel so out of step on those issues? And Paul's answer is, stick with Jesus. It's him you need to talk about. That's what makes him distinctive as a messenger, he's saying, because I'm sticking with Jesus. Not, and therefore I'm talking about him, not first of all, all those thorny issues that feel so divisive. Those issues need addressing as well, but if you talk about Jesus, you'll find you get to those issues. So start with him, stick with him. Maybe somebody has indicated in some way that they're sort of vaguely open to talking and thinking about spiritual things. That they realise there may be more to life than work. And we can say, well, have you ever read one of the accounts of Jesus' life? Would you like the opportunity to do that? I can help you with that. Focus on him. That is what Paul is encouraging us to do. And stick with messengers who proclaim Jesus, not moving on to other things but it's not just then about what genuine messengers say it's what they do as well and so we come to the bread of the sandwich verse 24 and 29 25 to 28 were the filling so what's around the edge stick with messengers who suffer like Jesus who suffer like Jesus. Here's the shock. If Paul being in prison is a bit of a PR problem that detracts from his message, then you'd expect him to, to put the focus somewhere else. You know, okay, yes, I'm in prison, but look at how successful my church planting strategy has been. But he, he doesn't say that. He, he says not only is he not ashamed of being in prison and suffering, but he rejoices in it. And even more than that, uh, even, even more than now, really, that is a radically strange thing for him to say then. To say that he's rejoicing in his sufferings. Pretty odd thing to say today, but then, back then, suffering really wasn't something to be proud of. It wasn't something you boasted in. It, is, it was shameful. You wanted to be strong, not weak. And it's only because of the effect of 2,000 years of church history that we're slightly less shocked when we hear the idea of rejoicing in suffering. 
but it's not a natural thought at all. So how can he rejoice in suffering? Because he is filling up in his body, he says, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And again, at face value, that is a pretty weird thing to say. What does he mean by that? What is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, his sufferings? Um, it's clear in this letter and it's clear in the rest of the New Testament that in one sense there is nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions, Christ's sufferings, his death on the cross. There's nothing kind of missing from that. There's nothing lacking. And, and, and we can see that in this letter, you know, verse, chapter 1, verse 13. He has transferred you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Verse 20 and 21. He has reconciled to himself all things through Jesus and by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus' death has already made God's people right with him. So what is lacking then, verse, verse 20, 24, well, not that Jesus didn't suffer enough. What is lacking then is that Paul now needs to suffer to continue the work that Jesus began through his life and death and resurrection. Because Jesus' ministry on earth ended with him sending out his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. He said, you, you go and carry on. And he sent the Holy Spirit to enable that to happen. And this is Paul describing what that looks like for him, suffering like Jesus did. So often we're surprised when it's hard following Jesus or we think we're doing something wrong or we think we're missing the key to a really victorious Christian life and that's when we're most likely to be tempted like the Colossians were to leave behind the gospel we've believed, to find something that is more comfortable, to find a church that says it doesn't really matter what you believe, the preaching that says you can skip the parts of the Bible you don't really like. So you don't have to have any awkward conversations with your friends and your colleagues. You, know, you can blend in nicely. People will leave you alone. But Paul says, no, following Jesus and proclaiming Jesus faithfully is going to involve suffering like Jesus did and being willing to do that. And so verse 29, the other end of the sandwich, to this end I strenuously contend. So I work hard. It is hard work. If you consciously make the decision to follow Jesus and put him first, you're going to find that it's difficult. And you have to make decisions that make life more difficult as you choose to go God's way and not your way and not the world's way. Well, how then can you do that? How could, how could it be possible to, to choose a way that is more difficult? Because, you know, left my own devices to do that, I know I will give up. And I don't know about you, I'm weak. I can't suffer like Jesus did. That's ridiculous. I don't have it in me, we might think. Well, verse 29, look at what he says. It turns out, Paul says, it's Christ powerfully working in him that makes the difference and enables him to suffer like Jesus did. So get the logic. As one person put it, it's not just... Christ at work and not me. It's not me at work and not Christ. It's not Christ and me in some kind of joint partnership where we do half each. It's not Christ then me where he saves me and then I carry on by myself. It is Christ in me. That is the Christian life. As I work hard, I find it is actually Christ working in me. 
Yet not I, but through Christ in me. The song paraphrases Paul in, in his letter to the Galatians. So this isn't some kind of superhuman way of you know, life being uh, held out to Christ's messengers that only a few will manage. It is the life that all of us are called to. And it looks impossible, but Christ is in us. That's what he's saying. And that reflects the message itself, doesn't it? Do you remember verse 27? What is this message that he's preaching? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, enabling us to serve him. And with that comes the hope of glory. It may be hard now, but it won't always be like that. And even knowing that changes everything now. Stick then with those messengers who model that kind of life. That is what Paul is saying. Character matters. If a Christian teacher or preacher or leader talks a good talk, but there's zero evidence that they believe what they're saying, avoid them. You know, if you're looking for a new church at some point in the future, these are the things to look out for. Do they proclaim Christ fully and faithfully? And do those that are doing that proclaiming live out what they proclaim? We might look foolish as we do that. We might look foolish to be associated with such messengers, as it were. You know, think of the Colossians having to tell their friends that they were listening to this guy in prison. It wouldn't make them look good. It's like people thinking that, that, you know, that guy Van Gogh is a total disaster. His life's a mess. Don't buy his paintings. Don't encourage him. He'll be forgotten in a few years. But the opposite turned out to be the case. It was the same with those who sided with the Apostle Paul. It's the same with those who sided with Jesus. Stick with messengers who proclaim Jesus. Stick with messengers who suffer like Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, help us not to be ashamed of trusting Jesus and following him, of it being known that we follow a saviour who suffered and died being willing to suffer like he did when that is necessary. And help us to know which messages about Jesus to, to trust, which messages to listen to, to stick with those who proclaim Jesus, those who suffer like Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name.